morning, everybody. Go ahead and be seated. Happy Mother's Day. Before we, before we get into Exodus 7 through 10 this morning. Hello? Hello? This better? All right. Try it again. Well, announcements. So first of all, there's a new podcast episode that is up. I've talked to a lot of people that listen to the conversation David and I had with Robin Rutledge, and the response was kind of like, well, yeah, this is great, but we still don't know what to do. And if that's kind of what you're thinking, then I would really encourage you to listen to the second conversation. It's actually the fourth and fifth episodes of the podcast feed, and because it's really what it is, we... You know, making disciples is can some, it some in some ways can be a very individual thing. It looks different in different contexts, and so we don't feel that we can say, "Hey, this is what everybody needs to do right now." But what we can do is we can look at situations, look at different places in our church where we see disciple making happen, and kind of highlight those and say, "Hey, here's an example of what it looks like in this context that might help you think about what it looks like in your context." So I encourage you to go. Uh, look what was I saying? So happy Mother's Day, everybody. <laughs> um, the podcast, right? So, yeah, because what it is, it's a conversation between myself and Cameron Wellborn and Steve Dingledine, because that's a relationship that we've seen a lot of disciple-making happen in, and we think it would be a good, a good reference point. And we're going to be trying to put out more of those conversations with people that are doing disciple-making right here in our church and in our community so that we can be, again, continue to be thinking and praying and seeking, what does that look like for us? It's in the, the Church Center app. There's a link that just says media and podcasts, and that'll take you, take you right there. Second of all, this coming Saturday, so May 15th at 8 a.m., we're going to have a men's breakfast. Uh, we're having a men's breakfast this month. The topic is going to be um, how to avoid burnout how to kind of structure our time, uh, extracurricular activities, work, family, all that type of stuff to, to, avoid, to avoid burnout. So I encourage you to come check that out and kind of be involved in that conversation with us as we're learning and growing together. That'll be 8 o'clock. Breakfast will be provided. You can sign up on Church Center. And then after the men's breakfast, there will be a church work day. Look at that. Just so happens have you stick around. <laughs> um, and that's not just open to the men, it's open to, to everybody. So we're, what we're doing is we're going to be getting the facilities ready for the second phase of Northwest Kids. We're really excited about launching that on June 6th. That's right. Round of applause. For Teresa and her whole team, they're getting the backfield back there ready for our elementary kids. So this coming Saturday, May 15th, Around 9.30 or so, if you just show up here, there's plenty of work to, to be done, and it should be a really fun time to get to serve together as well. And just with other things, you can sign up and the Church Center app for that. And finally, June 6th, June 6th, like I just said, is the, the first day we're kicking off the second phase of Northwest Kids. It's also a time that we're going to be celebrating our graduates, our high school graduates. So I know many of you have, have seniors and they're getting ready to send those, send those kids off into the world, whether it's college or job or whatever the case may be. And so we're going to have a time on June 6th of really celebrating our seniors during the service. And after the worship service, we're going to have a picnic. Um, yay, picnic. And it'll be bring your own food. And um, what else? Picnic. And it's also kind of kicking off the summer. So June, June 6th, you know, um, people are starting to feel more comfortable. More and more people are vaccinated. The weather's getting better. So kind of a fun way to kick off the summer as a church body, something we wouldn't have been able to do in, on June 6th, 2020, that we're really thankful we can do uh, June 6th, 2021. So there's some announcements. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive into Scripture. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, we know that your word is powerful. You promise us that your word, it always accomplishes the purpose that you intend it for. And so, Holy Spirit, we just invite you this morning to be working. We know that you are working, and we invite you to be working 
among us, in our hearts, in our minds. Please help us to understand what you're saying to us through your word. Help us to, un- help us to believe it, help us to obey it, and help us to be able to, to share this message with others also. So please open our hearts and open our ears. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the past couple of weeks we've been, before we get into what you might call the sermon, we've been just reading an extended portion of scripture that's going to be the text of the sermon. And really, this is the most important part of our message. You know, in a second, I'm going to say some words about, about Exodus 7 through 10, and I hope my words are going to be helpful. But really, the most important words, uh, the words that really matter, are the ones I'm about to read. Uh, so let me read Exodus, and this is, this is God's word to us in Exodus chapter 9. So you can, if you want to, you can turn with me to Exodus chapter 9, or you can just, just listen along. So Exodus chapter 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, go in to Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time, saying, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day, the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of Egypt died, but, no, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become a fine dust over all the land of Egypt and become boils breaking out in sores on every man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh and Moses threw it in the air and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have, have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never been in Egypt from the day that it was founded until now. Now, therefore, send your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his his staff towards heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth and the Lord rained hail upon the the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail such such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, 
both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go. You shall stay no longer. Then Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in the bud. But the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord. And the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Well, happy Mother's Day. <laughs> hail and plagues and boils, you know, I, when I was, uh, this morning, Matt asked me, so what's your joke going to be about plagues on Mother's Day? I said, I don't know. Insert, insert your joke there. <laughs> um, all right. So today we're looking at Exodus 7 through 10. Let me turn to my notes here. There we go. Okay, so... As we've been looking at Exodus, really we've been having this conflict building between Egypt and between the Lord, right? You know, last week we said that God, that the Lord, the Lord God, he's kind of like Terry Rozier. Anybody remember Terry Rozier? You know, he, he's the guy who, you know, his, uh, the guy he was playing against in the NBA playoffs, Eric Bledsoe, you know, he was asked about him, hey, are you, are you worried about Terry Rozier? And he was like, who? I don't know who Terry Rozier is. I'm not worried about him at all. And Terry Rozier was like, okay, that's fine. But after next game, you're going to know who I am. I'm going to make sure you never forget. And that's kind of what God is doing. And so over and over again throughout the plagues and throughout what follows, what do we see God saying through Moses? He says, I will do blank so that you will know that I'm the Lord. All right? So we've had this, we've had this, uh, this conflict kind of brewing between the Lord and and between Pharaoh, really Egypt, but but basically basically the Lord versus versus Pharaoh. So um, and today we really get the it, it start the conflict really really heats up and the conflict really really starts in in earnest. Um, so before we get to the text today, I, I want to a couple of background things about Pharaoh that I think help us understand kind of what's going on here. So the Egyptians, as we've said before, the Egyptians had lots of gods. It's not that they were atheists, they were, they were polytheists. And so they had the god of the, of the sun, they had the god of the, of the wind, they had the god of the, the Nile River, which in Egypt it doesn't rain hardly at all, but they, you know, the, the crops are irrigated by the Nile River. And so they believed that there were different gods that are in charge of, of the river, or in charge of fertility or in charge of war or stuff like that. And so, um, you know, if you have a problem with your, with your crops, then, you know, there's a, there's a God for that. Um, if you have a problem with the river, if the river's flooding, then, you know, there's a, there's a God for that. If you, if you can't get pregnant, if you can't have children, there's a God for that too. I've kind of got a God for everything. And so, Pharaoh's job, so, so you have kind of the, the gods up here, and then you have the, the people of Egypt, as they understood it, kind of down here. And so something needed to sort of connect the, the gods who are making sure everything kind of doesn't go crazy, and, and then, then the people. And it's important for us to remember, you know, we're so insulated from, from nature, 
today, it's hard for us to understand kind of what it's like to live in a place where, you know, your, your livelihood completely depends on how much rain you get or the, the, the levels of the river or, or something like that. Um, people that live in parts of the world where they, they have kind of less conveniences, a little bit less modernized, would understand that better. But, I mean, you think about a couple months ago when in Texas when, you know, they, they lost power. There's this giant storm. And, I mean, it, we, we realize real fast how dependent we are on, on, on our environment, on, on nature. And that's something for the Egyptians they were very acutely aware of. Okay, so what's going to be kind of the linchpin between the gods who kind of keep order or chaos or, or whatever and then the, the people? Well, it's going to be Pharaoh. And Pharaoh believed and the people believed that Pharaoh was actually a god himself, that he was the offspring of the sun god of, of Egypt. And basically, Pharaoh's job and his kind of claim to, to, to power was that he was the one who could maintain kind of this harmony between the gods and between the, the people. Okay, so, you know, why is it that, we, that it's, we're kind of in the Goldilocks zone? You know, not too hot, not too cool, uh, just right. Well, it's because of Pharaoh. And, and because Pharaoh, he's performing his rituals, he's going through his different, uh, the different rites that they had. And, and, and that was how, in his mind, that he kind of kept everything in this nice equilibrium. It was, it was through Pharaoh. So, you know, this passage, obviously, as, as we read it a second ago, it's a really tough passage. And it's, I mean, it's, it's kind of scary. It's not kind of scary. It's, it is scary when we see what God, what God does. And I think it's important to remember, I think it's really important for us to remember that, that creation is a gift, that the creation is a gift. You know, what was the world like? What, were, what were things like before, in Genesis 1, before God started his work? So it was formless, and it was empty, and it was, it was just pure chaos. And then God, you know, over the course of the, of the account of, of creation, God, step by step, he, he starts to bring order out of chaos. And whereas before it was just formless and empty, you couldn't support life, you know, then God, he, he creates the, the light, he creates the sky, he creates the different habitats, the, the sea and the, and, the, and the land, and you've got this stuff that just is coming out of the ground, the, oh, you know, what do you know, you can eat that, and it's, it, it all just kind of works. And so God, over the course of creation, he brings order out of chaos and causes the world to be a place that we can, that we can live. And what we see, because it seems like God's being really cruel and, you know, let's, I don't want to pull any punches with it. I mean, God is, we said before, God's like Liam Neeson, you know, he's in, in the movie Taken. You know, he, he's not here just to hurt people, but, you know, if, if that's what it takes to get his kid back, you know, he's, he's going to do whatever it takes. Um, but it, really what we see in, in the story of the plagues is God showing Pharaoh and God showing us what happens when the God who brought order out of chaos, when he kind of, when he pulls his hand back and he lets us see what happens as the earth starts to descend back into chaos and that equilibrium that we have with nature starts to, starts to evaporate. You start to see how, how much of a gift it is that, you know, it's not, you know, negative 100 degrees outside, or it's not, you know, 200 degrees Fahrenheit outside. It could easily be that way, right? Uh, and God's going to be pulling his hand back and, and showing Pharaoh, you know, you think you're the one who's in charge of all this, but you're not. I am because there's nobody who's like me. Okay, so um, it's, gonna, it's creation kind of unraveling. And I think one of the coolest, one of the most interesting things is God, you know, again, again, he comes to, to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go or else I'm going to send plagues. And again, these plagues are, they're, they're warnings. Okay, God could have easily shown right up. He didn't have to show up. He could have just snapped his fingers, Pharaoh and all the Egyptians just dropped dead. And then the people leave. Easy as that. But really, it's a merciful thing that God is giving Pharaoh 
these chances to, to repent. He's giving him these warnings. And I think one of the, one of the things that I find really fascinating is the kind of the, I guess you could say competition in these chapters between Moses and Aaron on the one hand, and then Pharaoh, and in particular, Pharaoh's magicians, all right? So Pharaoh in his, in his court, you know, he had these, these magicians. They were kind of like sorcerers or witch doctors or whatever you want to call them. And they, they believed they could channel some type of, of supernatural power. Okay, so we see him first in, in 10, or sorry, in, in chapter 7, Exodus 7, 10. Okay, so this is where Moses, you know, and Aaron, they perform the sign. They throw the staff on the ground, turns into a snake. And the point's supposed to be like, well, okay, this is, you know, there's power in what this guy's saying. Look at what God can do. And then the, the, the magicians, you know, they're like, hey, I mean, no big deal. We can do that too. And so they throw their, snap, their staff on the ground, turns into a snake also. But then what happens? Aaron's snake gobbles up the magician snake. Okay, so they can do the same thing, but you can see, okay, you know, who, who kind of won in the end. So that's kind of where it starts, where the, the magicians are trying to match Aaron and Moses sort of tit for tat to prove, you know, this is no big deal. We can do this too. Nothing to worry about. All right, so then, then there's the first plague. So, you know, Moses comes in, says, thus says the Lord, let my people go. Otherwise, I'm going to, I'm going to cause bad things to happen. And the first, the first plague is when he turns water into blood. So again, their, their main source of, of irrigation, really their only source of irrigation is the Nile River. Everything in Egypt centers around the, the Nile River. It has to kind of flood just enough to kind of irrigate the land, but not too much where everything thing dies and houses are, houses are destroyed. So the first place that God strikes is the Nile River, and he turns the water into blood. And then in 722, it says that the magicians that they did the same thing. Okay, which again, if I'm Pharaoh, I'm thinking like, all right, great guys, but can you turn it back into water? That was, that was like the last, the last cup of water I had. You just turned it into blood. I'm glad, I'm glad you can do that, but all right. So the magicians copy it, right? And, and th then the second plague comes, and Moses again comes in and says, let my people go, or he gives them the warning, or you know, bad things are gonna happen. And the second plague, God causes all sort of, of frogs, just tons and tons of frogs. And again, that seems, you know, we kind of think frogs are, are cute or, or whatever. But imagine, you know, more frogs, I mean, I, just frogs all over the place, hopping in your, your house and your, you know, in your bed. I mean, just more frogs than you could ever imagine, like as many frogs as there are, like, I don't know, flies and mosquitoes all put together in the, in the, in the hottest part of the summer. And so there's frogs all over the place. And again, the magicians can, they can do it too. And again, if I'm Pharaoh, I'm like, again, that's nice guys, <laughs> but maybe could you make the frogs go away <laughs> instead of creating more frogs? Anyway, um, and, but Pharaoh, for some reason he sees, okay, there's something, there's something more powerful about, about this, this God, what Moses and Aaron are doing. And so he pleads with Moses and Aaron and says, oh, please, you know, tell the Lord to take the frogs away and I promise I'll do what you say. I'll let the people go so they can go and, and worship God in the wilderness. And so Moses does, but then what does Pharaoh do? Well, Pharaoh changes his mind, and he, he, his heart's hardened again, and he doesn't let the people go. Then the third plague, God sends tons and tons of gnats, um, you know, these biting little insects, just swarm all over, all over Egypt. And Pharaoh brings out his magicians. And he says, okay, guys, you know, he's, he's trying, you can sense him trying to, to, to test, you know, at what point are we getting kind of past our, our capabilities? And the magicians, that they try, but they, but they can't do it. They can't do it. I don't know what it was about the gnats, but they, they can't, can't do gnats. They can do frogs. They can do water. No gnats. And, uh, and, and the, but then the magicians, they turn to Pharaoh and they say, dude, this is beyond what we can do. This is the finger of God. This is God doing this. This is something greater than, I mean, we've got some tricks up our sleeve. We can't do anything like this. Okay. Fourth plague. Moses comes in. He commands Pharaoh, let my people go, or God's going to send 
uh, plagues on you more. Pharaoh does not listen. Again, who is the Lord? Who's, you know, why, who is God to think he can tell me what to do? I'm Pharaoh. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the offspring of the sun God, All right? So the fourth plague um, is flies. So flies just swarming all over the place, probably that bite you or sting you. Imagine, you know, just mosquitoes you can never get away from in your house, in your, in your bedroom, you know, in your car. Yeah, flies. And Pharaoh, once again, he, he pleads with, with Moses, says, oh, you know, please take this away. I promise if you just make this go away, then I'll let, let the people go. I'll let them do whatever you say. Again, Moses does it. Pharaoh's heart is hardened again, and he changes his mind and doesn't let the people go. Okay, so fifth plague, let my people go, or there'll be more plagues. But Pharaoh says no. And the fifth plague is the plague of the, the sickness that comes on the livestock. So let's look at this. Let's look at, pay, or look at chapter 9, verse 4. All right, nine four. Okay, so God sends the sickness on all of the animals in the whole land of Egypt, but in verse four it says, "But but the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt." Okay, so this plague is this sickness, this you know this this uh, this epidemic you know is falling on all of the all of the animals in the land. They're all dying except for the animals of the Israelites that are in the land of of Goshen. Interesting. What is it about these people that God is sparing them? Well, we'll keep, we'll keep thinking about that. We'll keep reading. And then, so, uh, sixth plague is the boils. This is one of my favorite passages in the story. I think it's really funny. So, so God, um, he, he tells Pharaoh, if you don't let my people go, there'll be, there'll be this next plague. And then he sends these sores that just cover everybody's bodies. Okay, so you've already got the flies, you've got the gnats, you've got all these different things that have happened, and then the, their bodies are just covered with these, with these sores you know, from, from head to toe. All right, and remember Pharaoh, every step of the way, he's bringing out his magicians, you know, anything you can do, I can do better, sort of, that's kind of what he's been doing. But, but then look at this, in, uh, look at this in, in chapter 9, verse 11. So everybody's covered with boils, and then Pharaoh, he's calling to his magicians again, and the magicians don't come. Is well, where, where's the magicians, guys? Yeah, we need. It's time, you know. Moses and Aaron are here, um, and then you know it says in verse eleven, and the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all and upon all the Egyptians. The magicians, where are you? We need a sick day. <laughs> Come on, we need you right now. This is really important. Sorry, we're covered with boils. <laughs> Can you get somebody else? So the magicians are losing, right? And we see kind of step by step that God's power far exceeds the power of, of the magicians, these different spiritual powers that the magicians have the, the ability to perform. Okay, then look at, verse, um, look at verse 13. So the seventh plague, God again, he sends Moses to warn Pharaoh and says, if you don't, um, that if you don't let my people go so that they can serve me, then I'm going to send hail. You know, and again, Egypt doesn't rain much in Egypt. So this is not, it's kind of like, you know, Noah's Ark, where it's going to rain and there's going to be a flood. Seems ridiculous. Probably didn't have a lot of hail in Egypt. But he says, I'm going to send hail like you've never seen before. It's just going to devastate all of, all of the, the crops, all of your, your agriculture. Um, but look at verse 13. Let me read that here. So the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning, present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. Okay, verse 14. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. That's kind of what they're figuring out, isn't it? There's no one like the Lord. There might be other spiritual supernatural powers, but there is no one like the Lord. Then look at verse 15. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up to show, to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. Behold, this time tomorrow I will cause a very heavy hail to, to fall, such as never been seen in Egypt. 
So he says, Pharaoh, you're still exalting yourself against my people. Okay, so what does this mean? Well, Pharaoh, from the beginning, he said, you know, why would I listen to the Lord? I'm going to do with these people what I want to do. I'm not going to let them go. They're my people. So he's exalting himself against the, the people of Israel, and he's exalting himself against the Lord. Okay, basically, you know, we say, we look at Jesus' example in, in the garden, skipping way ahead to Jesus, Jesus' example of humility and submission, where Jesus says, not my will, but your will be done. Well, exalting ourselves against God is kind of like when we say the opposite. Well, God, not, not your will, but let, let my will be done. And that's kind of what Pharaoh is doing. He's exalting him, himself against God's people and against God himself. Okay, let's look at verse 18. So behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause this hailstorm. Then in verse 19, therefore, this is so interesting. He gives them a warning. He's telling them in advance, and he's actually encouraging them to try to respond to the warning to be safe. He says, now, therefore, send your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter. For every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls. Okay, so he tells Pharaoh and the Egyptians, you know, get ready, the hail's coming. You know, if, if your servants, if you yourself, if your animals are out in the field, they're going to die from, from, from the, this hailstorm. But look at what happens. In verse 20, then whoever feared the word of the Lord, whoever feared the word of the Lord, not among the Hebrew people, but whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Okay, so some of the people, some of the Egyptians, they've started to get the message that this, we don't want to mess with this God anymore. There is no one like the Lord. And so when they hear Moses say, this is what's going to happen, they take it to heart. Those that fear the Lord, they bring their animals inside so that they don't, they, they don't get hit by the, the hailstorm. But some other people who did not fear the Lord, they just said, yeah, whatever. You know, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't happen, and they, they didn't respond, okay? Um, and then in verse 27, God says to his people, God says to, to Pharaoh, um, once again, Pharaoh, you know, oh, I've sinned against the Lord, you know, please cause us to stop. And Moses says to him that he'll, he'll cause it to stop. But then he says in verse 29, uh, he says, or, sorry, in verse 30, he says, but as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord. Okay, so, you know, maybe you listened to me that one time, but I know in your heart you don't actually fear the Lord. Well, why not? Because most of their crops are destroyed. You know, the flax and the barley is struck down, but you still got the wheat, you still got some other things that, that haven't been destroyed yet. So they still don't fear the Lord enough. They still don't completely realize that they need to do whatever God, whatever God says. Okay? So next plague, the, the eighth plague, is the, the locusts. The locusts come and they eat all of the crops. Again, agrarian society, they rely on their crops. They eat all of the crops that were not destroyed by, by the hail. So now it's getting even more desperate. In chapter 10, verse 7, as we're just kind of walking through this, so this is happening in front of Pharaoh and his, his servants, the magicians too. Remember the magicians before, they're covered in boils from head to toe, so they had to take a sick day, couldn't come out and, and you know, spar with God. Um, but then at this point, Pharaoh's servants in the last plague, some of them, they, they were taking the message. They, you know, Pharaoh wasn't listening, but, but they were starting to say, hey, we should probably really listen. And look what happens in, in chapter 10, verse 7. Then Pharaoh's own servants said to him, how long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not understand that Egypt is ruined? So in the midst of all this, the, it's very obvious to the servants, you know, possibly the magicians too, might have been, if they, I don't know if they'd recovered from their boils yet, but if they, if they had, they might have been staying there too. Um, they say, man, this is, this is not going well for us. Egypt is, is being destroyed. Why don't you just, just let him go? Stop trying to fight. You know, there's, there's, we clearly can't compete with the Lord. But Pharaoh, he, he still, you know, he, he's, he's just, he's hard-hearted, he's stubborn, he refuses to let the people go. And you go through this where he's kind of, he's kind of bargaining with God back and forth. Oh, I'll, I'll let some of the people go. 
oh, well, I'll let them go, but not that far. And God says, nope, has to be all the people, all the animals. You have to let them come all the way out into the wilderness to worship me. Okay, God, God does not negotiate with Pharaoh. And then the ninth plague. Okay, remember we said that what's happening through this whole, this whole process is that God is removing his blessing. He's removing his hand from upholding the, the order, the harmony, the goodness of, of creation, and he's allowing it to descend back into chaos. Okay? And the Egyptians, their gods, the Nile god, couldn't stop the river from being turned to blood. You know, the, um, all of these different gods, the agriculture god couldn't stop, couldn't stop the crops from being destroyed. The storm god couldn't stop the hail. But remember, who is their most important god? Well, he's the sun god, okay? And the sun, you know, we said, what is there a lot of in Egypt? Well, there's a lot of sand and there's a lot of sun. The sun is ever-present, and in the ninth plague, God even causes, he causes the, the sun to be, to, be, to be blocked out. So there's, there's darkness over the entire land. And it's really chilling. It says it was a darkness that could be felt. A darkness that it was so dark, it almost seems like you could just, you know, reach out your hand and it was just this tangible kind of darkness. Well, what was the world like? What, was, what, what were things like? What was the universe like before God started to work? What is the first thing that God did? He said, let there be light. And as we see God allowing creation to unravel, so to speak, that's where it ends. That even, even the light, even the blessing of light is, is taken away. And we'll see next week, Pharaoh still doesn't listen. And so then you'll have, you'll have the 10th plague, which is, the, which is ultimately Pharaoh, God's going to fulfill his, his warning, fulfill his promise to Pharaoh, which he said, you know, let my people go. Israel is my son. If you don't let my son go, I'm going to kill your son, all right? And we'll, we'll look at the 10th plague, the final plague, and the worst plague, the one that finally does cause Pharaoh to break, um, not once and for all, but much more so. We'll look at that next week. Well, a couple of thoughts here as we, as we get ready to close. You know, we've been asking the question, what do these passages, in, in these passages, what does God say and what does God do? And we want to look at what God says and what God does and draw our conclusions, form our picture of who God is based on what God says and what God does, not based on kind of what we think or what we hear in culture or, or whatever. Well, what do we see about God from God? You know, he's giving Pharaoh these warnings. He says, yeah, I'm going to take this away, and then he does. He says, this is going to happen, and it does happen. We see what, what Pharaoh, what the, um, what, what, what the Lord said multiple times throughout this passage and what even some of the servants started to realize, which is there is no one like the Lord. There is no one like the Lord. You might be able to turn your staff into a snake. Big deal. There is no one like the Lord. There might be other supernatural powers, but there is no one like the Lord. You know, there's, when it comes to, when someone tries, no matter how much spiritual power they have, when someone tries to exalt themselves against the Lord, to stand up to the Lord, they don't stand a chance, Right? You know, I, I, I love looking at, and this just makes me think about Jesus. I love looking at these passages where Jesus encounters demons in the, in the New Testament, right? And there's one passage, you've probably heard this, this story before. You know the story about Jesus um, and the, the man who was, who was being oppressed by demons and then, and the story with the pigs? You know this story? You know what I'm talking about? I, I think it's, it's again, it's, there's, there's a lot of kind of, sort of darkish humor in it. I mean, you have this man who's, he's, he's being oppressed by this, it says a legion of demons. You know, there's hundreds or thousands or who knows however many demons there are. And this guy is just absolutely terrorizing. He's just terrorizing the whole city. I mean, everybody's, 
people won't go near him because, you know, he's just so, the, the demons are just so powerful. And then Jesus comes up and um, the, 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 guy, the guy with the demons, the demons kind of threw him, they, what do they say to Jesus? They say, they say, Jesus, oh, it's, it's not time yet, Jesus. Are you going to destroy me now? I was supposed to have more time. Please, not yet. And he says, could, could we just, you know, could, could we please just go into those pigs over there? And Jesus is like, yeah, sure, whatever, just, just get out of here. And so he sends him to these pigs, and the pigs, you know, the pigs, pigs run off the cliff. And, but it's, to me, it's, uh, you know, it, um, it's, to, to me, the, 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 the funny thing is, and again, that's a dark story in lots of ways, but the funny thing is there is that you have these demons, and, and we tend to be kind of scared of demons, don't we? Um, but the demons say Jesus, see Jesus, and they're just like, you know, they don't even put up a fight, they know that whatever Jesus says to them, they will have to do. And so they're just, they don't even try to oppose him. They're just begging him, please just let us, don't completely destroy us. Just please let us go, go into those pigs over there. So there is no one like the Lord. There is no one like Jesus. If God is for us, then who could be against us, right? You know, I mean, are there supernatural powers in other religions you know, are there shamans or witch doctors that can put a curse on somebody or make something bad happen to them? Sure, m- maybe. You know, maybe some of it's fake. Maybe some of it's real. Sure, maybe. Certainly, we we believe in we believe in demonic powers. You know, are there um, are, are there people that can read your palm and tell you your future? Your future, maybe. But ultimately, it doesn't really matter. Because there's no one like the Lord. If God is for us, then who can be against us? Nobody can stand up to God. Okay, so that's, the, that's what we see about God. There's no one like the Lord. Now, what does this have to do with us? So we see in the example of Pharaoh, we see that Pharaoh, that, that if you exalt yourself against God and against God's people, if you stand up and say, God, who are you to tell me what to do? Then you're destroyed. Okay, if you exalt yourself against God, you're destroyed. But if you fear the Lord, then you're saved. Okay, if you exalt yourself against the Lord, if you reject the Lord, then you're destroyed. But if you, if you fear the Lord, then you're saved. So remember the, the Egyptian servants, that they, they hear Moses saying to Pharaoh, you know, you better get ready, this hailstorm's coming um, if, if your animals, if your servants are out in the fields, they're going to they're gonna die. So you better, better get ready. And some of them, you know, they feared the Lord. So they believed that this would actually happen. And so they bring their animals back, back inside. But some of them didn't, and they didn't heed the warning. And so their, their animals and their servants all died. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? What does it mean to fear the Lord? You know, I think we could talk a long time about this. You know, this is a whole another sermon. But basically, we see in this passage that to fear the Lord means that we take God's, God's warnings seriously. We take God's warnings seriously. If God says he's going to send hail, he's going to send hail. So you better get ready. Right? Last week, we talked a lot about God's promises. And we said that God gives us, God is faithful so when he says he's going to, to bless us in certain ways, when he gives us a promise, it's, you know, we can take it to the bank. So you can just grab onto it, cling to it in, in your darkest moments. But this week we're talking about God's warnings and that we need to fear the Lord. That when God gives us a warning, we need to listen to it. We need to take it seriously, not ignore it. Again, if we exalt ourselves against God, we'll be destroyed. But if we fear him, if we take his warning seriously, then we'll be saved. Okay, so I was thinking about this this week. What are some ways that we tend to exalt ourselves against the Lord today? What are some ways that we can stand up to God and we can kind of have that attitude, God, who are you to tell me what to do? You know, who are you to tell me how to live my life? Well, I've got two, two things for you to think about here. Two ways two ways that we can tend to exalt ourselves against the Lord, and then also two warnings that God gives us about the, the consequences of, of doing that, okay? 
First of all, there, there's one way we can exalt ourselves against the Lord, and that's by refusing to believe, by, by not believing in Jesus. Okay? Let's look together at John 3, 16 through 18. John 3, 16 through 18. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved. Okay, so again, God doesn't just show up and say, all right, it's over. You know, everybody's, everybody's condemned. He gives us the warning, right? He gives us the chance to repent and turn to him. In verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Okay, so this is the warning that if we, if we refuse to believe in, in the son of God, if we refuse to believe in Jesus, then we'll be condemned, okay? So there's a, there's a very popular term that's used, I don't know how popular it is, but a term that keeps coming up a lot in kind of faith circles and that's um, faith deconstruction. Have y'all have y'all heard this term before? So faith faith deconstruction, and it, it, people probably use it in different ways. But basically, I mean, I think that at its at its root, some of the ways I've heard it used, it's basically kind of okay. This is, you know, I've I've believed this for a long time because my parents believed this, but do I really believe this? Yeah, you know, I've always kind of taken it for granted. You know, mom and dad say this; it must be true, but. You know, when we, when we become an adult, we have to start thinking for ourselves, is this my, just my parents' faith or is this really my faith too? Right? It's something that's a natural process we all have to go through. And, and when we get to that point, you know, many times people find, and, and it seems like especially nowadays, more and more people kind of find things in their spiritual upbringing that they learn from Sunday school or their parents or whatever, and they say, I'm not, I'm not sure I believe that. And start kind of saying, okay, how much of this am I going to hold on to? How much of this am I going to, to, to rethink, right? And I think there can be something very honest about this, you know, where we say, you know what, I have some questions. And instead of just kind of, you know, pigeonholing those questions, I'm actually going to think about them. I'm actually going to ask those questions. And, and as a church, we want to be a place where you can ask those questions, where you can ask tough questions about how do we know the Bible's really true? What about all these miracles? What about what the Bible teaches about controversial topics like sexuality or about gender or about stuff like that? We want to be a place where we can have those honest conversations. But I think what happens sometimes is that this so-called the deconstruction or the seeking or whatever it is, it can start with seeking for truth and trying to say, you know, I don't, I don't want to assume that what I've gotten from my parents is true. I, I want to discover and, and, and search out the truth for myself. It starts like that, but it very quickly kind of descends into this like, kind of like a spiritual buffet where, where it's kind of like, it's, not, it's no longer I'm searching for truth, but it's kind of like, well, what do I want God to be? Because I'm sure if God, you know, if God does exist, I'm sure he would think about things exactly like I do. And we start saying, well, I, you know, I, I like kind of this part of Buddhism and this part of secularism and this part of Christianity. And we kind of create this, we, it's, we've no longer, we've stopped kind of searching for truth and started just kind of trying to find people that tell us, that confirm what we already think. Okay, there's a, many of you have, might have listened to, there's a, a podcast series by, uh, it's two guys, Rhett and Link. You guys heard of this? So, so Rhett and Link, they, uh, they used to be on staff with Campus Crusade. They, you know, used to identify as Christians, very popular YouTubers, and, and now they, they don't anymore identify as Christians. And they did this, this series of YouTube uh, episodes or um, podcast episodes where they basically kind of walk through this process of deconstruction. And it's really, it's really fascinating. But one of the things, in many of the questions they ask, you know, I heard, I was like, oh, that's a, that's a good question. That's a good thing to think about. I've asked that question before too. So I, in many ways, I really respected kind of the, the process and the questions they were asking and, and things like that and their honesty. But there's one thing that I remember Rhett in particular said that really stuck out to me. He said, you know, I finally got to the point where I said, if I don't, if I don't have to believe in this God, a God who would you know, tell me things that I don't agree with. If I don't have to believe in, in, in a God like this, then why would I? 
If I don't have to believe in a God like this, then why would I? And I think we have to be very careful because I think at that point we're exalting ourselves against God. At that point, we've crossed the line where we're no longer seeking truth and we're basically trying to find teachers or gods or religions that are gonna tell us what we wanna hear. And at that point, we're exalting ourselves against God. Okay, so that's the, that's the first one. Second one, hiding sin in our lives. Hiding sin in our lives. I know I'm, I'm over, I've gone too long, so we'll, we'll wrap this up very quickly. But hiding sin in our lives. Um, we know that all of us will be judged by God one day. Um, it, we'll have to stand, we'll stand before God. And, and those of us, th- those who have not trusted in Christ as our Savior, like we just saw in, in John 3, will be condemned. Now, for those of us that trust in Christ, we aren't going to be judged in a salvific way, you know, what's our eternal destiny gonna be, but God tells us, and for time's sake, I won't read it, but you can go back and read it. 1 Corinthians 3 talks about that God will judge everyone, God will judge everyone's works, like he'll test it with fire. And some people's works, some of the thing, the ways we've served God will be gold, silver, and precious stones, and it'll endure for all of eternity, and you'll be rewarded for that for the ways we've served God. On the other hand, some people's works will be like, like hay, straw, and stubble, and it'll just be burned up and, and destroyed in an instance. It won't stand. And it says that those people will be saved, but only as one escaping through, through, through the fire. Um, so, so basically, th- there won't be the same level of reward. And if you keep going in that passage, it says, what's gonna happen when God judges us all? It's gonna, one thing that's gonna happen is God will reveal the secret things that are hidden in darkness. He'll reveal the secret thing, you know, the, the, the secret, um, the double life that somebody was leading, the, those un- unrepentant sins, right? So again, I, I can't, as I say this, I can't help but think about Ravi Zacharias. You know, did God use him extremely powerfully? Absolutely. You know, did, but, but he was exalting himself against God by living this type of a, of a double life. And, you know, we might get away with that during our life, we might even get away with that after our life. People might not uncover those things, but one day those things will be uncovered and God will, he will reward us, not just how much have you done, but what is our attitude towards God? What level of holiness and purity? Okay, so yeah, I pray that we'll be people that don't exalt ourselves against God, but instead we would fear the Lord, take his promises seriously, and that we would submit to him to be saved and experience abundant life. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your promises. We thank you for your love. We ask that you would help us to to fear you. We ask that you would help us to take your warnings seriously. I pray for myself that your promises and your warnings would be very clear in my heart and that you would remind me of those often. God, we love you. And we just pray that you would continue to bless us as a church body. Please continue to use us and keep us safe. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.